0: amazing okay so welcome back what we are now episode three series season two of soul mood podcast so for those of you that haven't joined before um the first series was really just a way for me to use a platform as a as a form of therapy and a way to talk about what it was that I was kind of going through without having to project any of my beliefs thoughts opinions onto anybody else and um, and it just kind of started helping people and so this year what I've decided to do is take different healing modalities and bring those different healing modalities to the masses so they can decide on their healing journey which one resonates with them the most. I personally believe in an um, a more integrated approach so I've had lots of different ex- exposures to different modalities um, and I work with several different modalities personally and, and with other people so given the opportunity to speak about all these different modalities means that people can see what they resonate with and then and then they can go from there because you know in a time of information it, it can just be really overwhelming and especially when you know you're you kind of on this healing journey. So today we are talking about healing with talk therapy. So that's your more your the first type of therapy that I think generally people think of when they think about therapy, going to speak to somebody, get getting some form of counseling or um, just having somebody that can listen to your problems. So what we'll do if we kind of go around and everyone can introduce themselves um and really what I think is most interesting is to not only just hear about what it is that you do and what you specialise in but what your story is and you know you take as much time as you need to share that by the way you're not on like a a 30 second give me a give me a (laughs) a little round of that like um just to really help people kind of understand and resonate, there'll be something in everybody's story that will um reach different people and that's really the purpose of of, of introducing yourself and in, in your story. So whoever wants to go first, I will I will mute myself and um you can take it away.
1: We're all Me? too excited. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ladies first.
3: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> Quite convenient.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't mind going first. I'll get it out of the way. <laughs> I hate introducing myself. It's so strange because I feel like oh there's just so that I you don't know where to start. I suppose I think I'll start with me and who I am, really, because I think that definitely brings a lot to my practice. I was kind of saying that earlier to you guys. So, um, yeah, my name's Charlotte. I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist for, um, I work for the NHS. Um, My, I suppose my journey actually started from the womb, if you like, you know, I've been brought up around, you know, severe mental health difficulties from OCD to uh, paranoid schizophrenia. It's just literally a very interesting life. Um, And it, it taught me a lot. I think, I actually fell into psychology as a last resort. I did performing arts, so I was, um, I was going to go to Mountview. I, I um, was singing, dancing, acting—that was my thing. But then I also took psychology. I was always drawn to it, so I felt like I needed a bit of a balance. So I went to um, university, completed my degree, um, which was an experience in itself because I was massively recognising what it's like to to be outside of the I suppose the family network and to see what life is like outside of that. And I quickly realised that mine wasn't a conventional sort of lifestyle. Um, I was very, very anxious, very socially anxious. I probably um I'm surprised I actually got through university. Um, I later come to realise that I was struggling with PTSD um technically it's complex PTSD lots of different trauma throughout my life um and I got through it and I'm so proud of myself um and then I I went to volunteer so I worked in Sri Lanka I volunteered in this country I'm massively an advocate for awareness of mental health so I worked with the Alzheimer's Society um and just yeah just dedicating my life if I wasn't performing I was doing something in mental health I worked at a rehab and I got I got a job there after doing bar work and stuff like that. And I was training as a counsellor, so I did um, a counselling skills course and I was um, taking on patients alongside training. But working in a rehab was massively triggering for me. Like, I was coming across all these different people and I would relate to them in one way, shape or form. And I didn't realise my body was just, like, physically responding to this stuff. So, thankfully... I um, was introduced to my therapist through somebody else and she literally just was like she modeled to me what a relationship is meant to be like like that mentalization that we talk about in therapy she just did that so well for me and she was an integrative counselor and that was what, what I was working with so she but she was really good because she knew I was from a psychology background so she would bring in the theory and she'd be like do you know much about this theory and like how it works and it was almost like really educational along like alongside my my journey in therapy so I had my first bout in about a year and then I thought actually no, I'm ready now because i I decided to come out of the rehab I was working at, decided to stop traumatising myself. <laughs> and um, I actually got a job working in the NHS. So this is where I feel like I really grew because I was able to, I think I I liked how structured the NHS training was for me. Um, so I was training as a psychological wellbeing practitioner which is kind of very basic level CBT, like Cognitive Behavioural Therapy staff. Um, but it helped me grow, really, and have a baseline as a therapist. And I quickly learned, you know, how to apply these techniques to a lot of, you know, different anxiety presentations, depression... But I just just wasn't going far enough with it. Like I knew I could go deeper with people, but I just didn't really, I hate using the word deeper, but essentially that's what you're doing. You're getting to the core. And obviously we weren't necessarily trained at that level. So I got really frustrated because I was able to assess and identify people that have you know, PTSD, personality disorder, um, severe OCD, or even just moderate OCD, all of these things that as a psychological wellbeing practitioner, we didn't work with. So I'm really, really grateful, but also proud that I worked really hard and I got onto the high intensity training. Um, and basically that is the cognitive behavioral therapy training that, um, that we put on. And it was just the best, and hardest year of my life because obviously it was through it you know it was quite recent i've been qualified um i qualified last year so even though that doesn't sound like long i think the training was two was two years or a year i don't know anyway that that's quite it's quite intense training but alongside that you've got covid going on you've got your personal stuff going on so um yeah it's definitely challenging But I just I loved it. I loved it. And I absolutely love the fact that um, I come from an integrative sort of background. So obviously, you know, thinking about different modalities, because now I'm at the I'm taking on the opportunities of picking up different stuff. So things like EMDR, which is typically used with with PTSD, things like um I'm very much into compassion focused therapy um ACT which is acceptance and commitment therapy so it yeah I just I'm just so grateful to have this this sort of in my life and this is exactly why I'm here today to just continue that journey but also as a wounded healer like have my story told because actually I don't get to do that really often and I think that's also good for me as a practitioner to open up to both sides of that and allow my, I suppose, my shadows to to kind of combine and, and be together, if that makes sense to anyone. Um, yeah, and I have a dog that I love and a very loving partner. I actually have a really good support family around. Like my family is a good support for me at the moment. Now I, I know how to deal with my stuff and, and sort of navigate these relationships um what else do you need to know I feel like that's enough how long have I been talking <laughs> but yeah
1: <laughs> that's
0: that's all good that's all good take take as much time as you like um yeah Diam or Adam introduce yourself
1: yeah I'll um I'll introduce myself so I'm Sam Stone I'm also a cognitive behavior therapist um and I, I agree with you, Charlotte. Like I didn't qualify that long ago either. And even though it's not that long ago, it, it's really intense work, isn't it? And time just it, it it flies, but at the same time, um, you learn so much. It's so intense. Yeah. So um, I I was actually really um really poorly as a child. I had a lot of like physical health problems. So um. And I also had, um, like, depression, anxiety problems during teenage years. Um, I actually dropped out of college because I, I, I was failing everything. But then I learned about mental health nursing and how you only needed, at the time, you only needed five GCSEs to get into mental health nursing. It's a lot um yeah, it's a lot more now but I was ever so lucky to get into that nursing program and that's basically started off my whole journey into into mental health I didn't go into physical health nursing because I would have found that too triggering as well um going into a, a um yeah a, a hospital so um I loved I loved mental health nursing and that's how I met Adam actually we we worked together at my first job on an adolescent unit. So, and that was really intense work, but um, like the, there wasn't much, um, much extra training after that. So even though I had a bit of insight into mental health, I, I just kind of felt frustrated. Like I wanted to um, learn a type of therapy or learn a little bit more about all these disorders that we were kind of dealing with to further help these kids and so um, I actually then went into an opportunity, came up into health visiting, so for some people don't know what health visiting is, Uh, quite a few people don't, and what it is, it's um, public health nursing, so it's like the nurse that you would see after a midwife, and they um, help families from the age of naught to 5, so learning about kind of public health, and once mum's Found out that my background was in mental health nursing, that I I did get a lot of people on my caseload, a lot of mom, new mums on my caseload with OCD, um, with depression, with anxiety. So that was that was really cool to work with that, but again, really intense. So then um, another year after that, the opportunity came up to to do CBT, the diploma, the postgraduate high intensity diploma for that. And it was the best thing, honestly, I've ever done. Um, it opened up so much understanding for me. Like, um, because I, I was a recruit to train. So um that means that I was being trained to work in an improving access to psychological therapies organization or IAPT um in, in Nottingham. And so we were trained to work with different protocols, really specific protocols to deal with depression, anxiety, OCD, single event trauma, not complex trauma, but um phobias, things like that, social anxiety. And it, it's the best, isn't it, when you when you understand like how everything's everything overlaps each other. And so with my mental health nursing background, physical health background, and then with this um i was able to apply like my individual background with that and sort of inter- integrate and i agree with you charlotte as well in that it's um psychoeducation is so helpful that education piece with therapy is so helpful for people people appreciate it so much um yeah it just helps everything make sense so a cbt and and i think you're right as well in that cbt sometimes doesn't feel like quite enough if you were just being pure with cbt like for example it is really valuable to to know about emdr and act therapy especially for people who have chronic pain or chronic illnesses fibromyalgia things like that um so that's my training I suppose we my, my husband and I we moved to Canada in 2020 and so I've I've since started uh, going to uni again to do my master's in counselling psychology and that's just been that's just been very eye-opening as well it's it's cool that you've got a background in performing arts um because even that can be integrated in in therapy um It's incredibly healing, the arts, for that. Um, I don't know what else to say. I've got a couple of dogs as well. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know what else to say, really. I can't keep plants alive, like Adam
3: can. (laughs) I've got so many questions, I can't wait to keep talking to to you. (laughs) Nice.
2: Thank you both. Um, I suppose it's i'll give it a pop so hi my name's adam i am a i was thinking about this i'm a integrative counsellor so but my main sort of modality that i hold is person-centered modality Carl rogers well, it's it's become much more than just a sort of title label of counsellor it's actually become a way of being um very closely linked to some of my beliefs outside of the therapy room, um, a way of being, a way, a way of practicing in life. Um, but then I've been trained over the years uh, with a lot of different modalities. I've done a bit of basic CBT, a bit of DBT through the NHS. Um, so I consider myself as a integrative counselor, but mainly from humanistic sort of um modalities um but i'm always kind of putting the client in the center and my supervisors well i've got a couple of supervisors private practice i run private practice and i work two days a week for a charity with young people up to the age of 25 uh, called base 51 in nottingham and uh, it's really interesting i met sam in comes inpatient adolescent unit. That's where I feel I earned my stripes. That's where I was actually training at the time. I was working, uh, training, doing... What was I doing? I was doing the the Masters then. Um, and then I went back and did like a topical course and then did of training. Really interesting. Got a lot of training through the NHS. The CBT and the DBT was through the NHS actually. Had to kind of really... Fight for it at the time, but I'm a fighter, so that's what life's taught me. So um, it was really interesting. I've been in practice, oh boy, uh, I think 2013, I've been practicing counseling from since I qualified. Um, I, I was doing that in the inpatient unit anyway. <laughs> I was offering one to one to do no, You're doing counseling, but you're not getting paid for this. Yeah, but it was this interesting, really interesting experience. I've worked with vulnerable, I've always worked with young people since 2004. Always chose to work with like what would be considered your, what people say you're hard to reach young people. And I just, I just feel like just talking to people on a level. Um, Because I use a lot of my own experiences with these young people. So I've worked in residential care, uh, mental health, charities, and then, even when I qualified, I found that I was moving around a lot of places um, and staying in a place for every six months, eight months, and then moving again, moving again, like kind of thing. But I see now by moving around all these different places, how I can kind of bring all the different experiences together and really sort of understand from the client what works, what doesn't work with clients. So I was just saying, like, with the two supervisors, one supervisor at base that my character calls me dynamic. I'm still trying to work out what that means. Um, And my other counsellor says, my other supervisor says to me, Adam, your superpower in counsellor is that you're a chameleon, that I adapt the modality or the style for the individual. Totally. And use all these different experiences, life experiences, training, what have you, to adapt that style so it fits the person that's in the centre and then it comes back to the person centred sort of modality um, which I'm sure we all agree we all have common for change to occur it all starts with the therapeutic relationship between people you know in that space so I suppose that's where I'm at with counselling, professionalism, that kind of thing, that part of the journey. Um, myself, personally, um, interesting, because I'm a bit of a, I'm not your sort of typical counsellor, if there is such a thing. I don't well, if there's such a thing. But well, me being male, from a working class background, and being an ethnic minority, that's a bit of a rarity in counselling. Well, it's actually starting to play out, well, it has over the years with, in terms of meeting that client need. And in private practice, it's really interesting. Get a lot of males, definitely minority males, coming my way, searching me out, which is really interesting. So my journey, uh, grew up in a rough council estate, uh, interesting, very interesting, growing up in the 80s, 80s, 90s. I think I'm a lot older than everyone here, um, in that council estate that shaped me, those experiences. Um, I remember when I was growing up, actually, I remember because I had a lot of sleeping issues and experienced a lot of trauma at different levels, from family and outside experiences, um, started to move with a lot of the wrong people before I did my counselling training. Um, it was really interesting. I'm just remembering now, when I was at school, people used to come to me and say, Adam, can I have a can I have a chat with you? Can I have a one-to-one <laughs> at school, right? This is 14-15. I remember there was like this riverbank and we used to go over there. That was like my office. <laughs> and I didn't realize what was going on. And we're sitting down with people, like was like be an uncle at school. And it was just really interesting. So I always knew from there I wanted to help people, but I wasn't quite sure where to go. Then I got off, got tra- went traveling. Well, going back when I was younger. I remember the doctor saying to me, giving me a card and saying, cause I wanted sleeping tablets, so you know, like, I'm not giving you sleeping tablets, but here's a card for counseling. And at that point at 15, 16, I don't know, I forget this, I chucked it in the bin. Ironic, I'm a counselling. All right. Um, and then the journey continued. I got off traveling for a year. Then I was like, had this aha moment of kind of finding myself. Yeah, I want to do counseling, came back. Got on the course, stuff like that. And then here we go. And then had my, I've been having my own counseling and I still dip in and out. I truly believe that it's really helpful um, to have your own counseling. And that's what changed my life. That's where, when I started to have that counseling and actually win that course, I started to of course, kind of move away from certain individuals, stop doing certain things. It fixed me right up, to be honest, because I could actually Hear myself, you know, explore all parts of myself. And that's kind of the first time that that actually happened in my life where I felt safe enough to do that. And actually, uh huh, okay, this is not what I want, (laughs) that kind of thing. And so it kind of saved me, to be honest. I do say that. And I remember Cam's actually invited me on an Insta live thing a while ago. And um, I was saying that to him, like, um, there which actually helped me to really understand parts of my own darkness like similar to what you were saying Charlotte about understanding those parts all, the, all those parts of self and moving through the shadows your own shadow self. And, and really that's where the work is that's where the expansion and the growth is right when you know going through the the into the your own abyss of darkness and i uh, like, okay, this is what's going on, and really unpicking that and exploring that and unpeeling layers and layers of self. Um, and what can I say? I love it now, it's my passion. You know, I still mix it up with young people, uh, but work with a lot more adults now, groups as well, starting so to hold some groups, looking at doing some men's groups in the near future. Watch this space. Uh, online and face-to-face here in Nottingham, so yeah, I love it I love it, I love the journey I love being part of other people's journey it's a real privilege, isn't it? you know, when people feel so safe enough to share things they may not have ever shared before with anyone and so yeah, it's, it's pretty appropriate you know, the title of today's thing um, trying to remember the title now healing <laughs> 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 it's brilliant it's, I know it's healing talking, healing through talking therapies. so <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah um, what else is there to say yeah I like to live on my own because I'm a bit of a grumpy bear sometimes I like my space um i really love this i love having these last couple of years of living on my own this is where there's been some last like two three years of been some serious growth. that's a good thing you know and uh, i love it having my own space uh here with my mates and stuff like that you know they could help people come here and <sighs> <laughs> coming here and sitting here with all the plants <laughs> Oh, they
0: can breathe again. Yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah. yeah extra yeah,
0: oxygen. Yeah. But I bet every single one of us on here is introverted that we all actually enjoy our own space. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes from because when you have this this um like natural aura and energy about you of that you're compassionate and that you're giving and that you can actually hold space for people we naturally will attract people that want to talk to us and want to tell us everything and so because of that then your space becomes so sacred when you're by yourself because you have to kind of process your own thoughts and your feelings and emotions as well as thinking for somebody else or, or holding that space for someone else so there is so much that came up in all of that and my brain the whole way through, I was like, I wish I had a pen because I've got paper in front of me. I wish I had a pen so I could write down all of these questions that have come up in my mind. Because what I like to do is I like, think about what's the most important questions that people would ask. And I was thinking about this before as well, um, earlier today. And my experiences with therapists. So I actually started having therapy when I was, I yeah, I must have been 14, I think, when I saw my, my first therapist through school, that was. That was the school that kind of put me in touch with the therapist. And it was really interesting, actually, if I'm thinking back now, it wasn't actually because I had asked to see a therapist or it wasn't even because I thought that there was really anything wrong. What I was going through at the time, uh, I can only assume that the school – felt that I needed that additional help even though I didn't actually recognize it I think it was all around the same time when my I think my dad tried getting in contact with me and I didn't want anything to do with him and it was something like they had to go through the school like they had to kind of I can't remember what happened but it was something like I had to have a meeting with them and say that I didn't want to have contact with them and it was like an additional witness or something I guess um, and then they started offering me like therapy and I really didn't understand really why I was being offered it but I did it anyway um so that was a, a school counsellor and then I was referred to um another therapist um I think I might have been referred via a doctor actually and then uh, the the I had another therapist when I was married and then I had another therapist after I'd had my daughter And with the exception of the first two, when I was a teenager, um, who I can still remember them, although I can't necessarily remember their names, I can still really remember them. Um, The other ones that I'd had kind of later on in life really weren't that particularly helpful. And so I was thinking earlier, like, the thing is, when you're looking for a therapist, I think there's like this blanket assumption that it doesn't matter what therapist you go and see doesn't actually doesn't doesn't matter they're all going to do the same thing they're all going to teach you the same thing but that's not actually the case um so in your opinion i know i guess i kind of have my own thoughts around this but what how do you find a good therapist or not even a good therapist right how do you find the right therapist for you what kind what advice do you have for people that are actually going into a place where they're like I actually want to talk to somebody there is a certain element of research that you kind of have to do to begin with you can't because it is what you're saying Adam you're entrusting somebody with your most personal information in fact before you answer this I'll tell you that the last the last woman I went and saw she was really old like um not that this is maybe an ageist but she was obviously had very cemented views about things I mean she must have been late 60s early 70s we're talking she was quite an elderly lady and she sat there listening to me kind of talking about all the stuff I was going through at the time and she um <laughs> I don't I've ever told Dave this I might have done she said to me is your partner gay you think he's do you think he's gay like um and she started putting these thoughts in my head and I was like no I don't think so she's like well because I've got another client that came in and um it turned I said this to her and it turned out that it, her partner was gay and blah, blah 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 and I was this I had postnatal depression not long had my daughter I was going through a really really difficult time and that kind of really put me in an even more of a difficult position and even more of a difficult time without even being able to physically turn around today and be like by the way <laughs> this therapist that i've just seen for the first time ever is it's like planting these really weird ideas in my head so that's kind of an i that's kind of a um, an example of of how if you don't do the research that you could actually be talking to somebody that is going to be detrimental to your mental health rather than actually help you and, and support you uh, through that. So I'm just really interested to find out like what what kind of research you think people should do and what makes a good therapist um, and how do people find what's, what's mm-hmm. the right one for them?
3: There's quite a few questions within that. Sorry. No, it's fine. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking about what came into my mind when you were talking. Um, And I think my advice would be you know, you don't have to stick with the first therapist. Um, And, you know, in terms of searching, I would say obviously you can get free NHS or the um, free therapy on the NHS, and you can get that through self referral or for your GP. So the issue with this, this question is that you can't choose when you work for it, when, when uh, you're going, you're having free therapy, essentially. I think there's a beauty in that, because I think um, within my service, anyway, we do a triage, we do a, an assessment, and we work with the, the client to see what we think will work but also or will work for them and whether that's something that they want to do so that was leading me on to think about expectations I actually think if you're considering therapy you have to consider what your expectations are and whether they are realistic so you know without going you know without spending too much um, of the time on this I do think that some people aren't always ready for change and that's okay if you're at that point in your journey where you know you you, just taking that step and having someone there to listen to you if that's enough at that point in time then that's enough whereas some people I think come into the service will have I don't know eight sessions and are kind of like well what well now what well sometimes I don't think it's always the therapist sometimes I think it's it's also you like what are your expectations and and how and can that be achieved by the type of therapy that you've got in front of you? Um, I mm. hope that's kind of answering your question, and I hope it's not dismissive of of some people, but I do generally think you know I, I had a therapist, a a, a, a patient who described thera- therapy to me as like a you know the balls of this is I'm a '90s kid, so you know the balls of um elastic bands. And there's loads and loads of elastic bands and they're all different colours. And, you know, every time they've had therapy, they described it as like just taking off a few of those different colours and then sorting out those elastic bands. You've still got that ball left, but it's just that little bit easier to put in your pocket. It's just that little bit easier to to kind of carry around with you or to know what to do with it and where to put it. So I think also, yeah, expecting that, expecting it as a journey rather than, I'm gonna have this course of therapy and then I'm gonna be okay. But actually, that isn't always the case. And that's okay in itself. Mm-hmm. That's what was going through my mind when you were when you were talking. Yeah, I don't like, know
2: if you agree. Yeah, I'd like to second on that. That, you know, quite often when I'm talking to mums in private practice and through the different workplaces, the charities and whatever that I've worked with, like mums will quite say to me, How long is this gonna take? This is like before we've even had an assessment. Right. This is just a consultation call or just a courtesy call from work or whatever. Now, how long is this going to take? And like my response is, well, how long is a piece of string? Because, um, you, in terms of healing and the journey, it's completely down to the individual. And you're right there, Charlotte, in terms of, yeah, there's an element in terms of expectations, but then there's also an element of how much trauma that person has experienced, you know, cause I like Gabba. Um, what's his name mate Gabo, Ma- yeah, mate yeah we're mate. all yeah we're all walking bags of trauma and i love that right all of this that's what i truly believe and then it's about because like you say with the elastic band you might be taking one piece or one layer i, I might like might use an onion analogy you might be peeling yeah. one layer of the onion within those eight sessions and then it also depends on what sort of service this is very important because it's like, if it's through the NHS, you don't get that choice. Like base 51, you don't get that choice. You've got a late waiting list, you get allocated. But what we try and do at base 51 is allocate and best match that individual to, cause, cause the person that allocates is a supervisor for all the, um, counselors or the therapists. So they'll try and best match that person. Right. So I, seem to get a lot of young people that are from ghetto environments and it works, right? It works because I can chat to them on a level and that kind of therapy works where then you have to adapt that style of therapy for the person. But there is cases as well um, and I think this can happen in the NHS that if it's not just just not gelling for whatever reason that therapeutic relationship or of the personality change isn't happening for whatever reason whatever this clash is not enough cultural competence or whatever it could be it could be triggers it could be previous traumas being a male therapist or female therapist or any kind of thing right all these different considerations to think about that quite often they can change but I don't know if that is the case now in the NHS like that that's happened with myself Um, yeah
3: so at the minute it's I suppose I always normally bring it into the beginning of treatment is that actually you know if we'll do a review session in three four sessions or so and there's always that option to reassign and I think some people would prefer to drop out and not Mm. do treatment rather than look for another therapist or you know have that awkward conversation because it is awkward you know Mm. it's a difficult conversation to have and there are some like not everyone is a good therapist without being like you know you can go on you can go on any website online it's not a protected profession so in terms of looking for counseling or looking for therapy you also have to know a lot about the whether that practitioner is accredited and who they're accredited by the the lay person isn't going to know what that means 9 times out of 10 I, yeah does uh, that does that sort of make sense that makes so much sense um
1: that like for me um at least having at least having like um a background in evidence based practice is is really important to look out for so um one of the like popular directories you can go on if you want to if you if you pay in for therapy psychology today they'll often have a list of what they what that person specializes in and you can have a chat with them often for free before you decide to start a piece of work with them I've worked with two IAPT companies now. Um, the first one that I worked for, um, we were expected to do four four assessments every week, and we were expected to, no matter what that client presented with, take that client on our caseload, and that just got like overwhelming. And and you're right, Charlotte, there is that. You know, if, if you're not gelling with a with um, a client, it is an awkward conversation to have, but Um, I personally, because that was my first job as a therapist, I did. I was like really open and said, um, you know, you've made that this brave step coming here today and being open with me today. But um, you also always have the option of, um, you know, and letting me know like eliciting feedback is really important in CBT isn't it and making sure that the therapeutic relationship is is working for for both that's really important and if it's not there's nothing wrong with requesting another therapist Mm. like for example I remember one of my first clients um was really struggling with with grief like complicated grief um and you don't really get taught that um in in, in c b t specifically yeah, it is about depression, it's about anxiety, and that's exactly what my supervisor advised me um just like work with the depression work with the, with the anxiety, but it was more than that for her and as an as an, an inexperienced or like novice therapist, I felt like I was in the deep end with her, whereas the next I observe I don't know if I'm supposed to mention the names of these um services. But the next one that I um, worked for felt a lot better, like we did telephone initial assessments and um, psych- the psychological well-being practitioners did that as well. What the, the CBT therapist did. And then at the end, we discussed uh, what the difference was between counselling and therapy in ca- Canada. Those terms are interchangeable. Counselling and therapy are regarded as the same thing. But in in the UK, it's like I explain counselling as a, an amazing opportunity to talk about, um, to go into depth and talk about the, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Adam, um, um, go into depth about the issues that you're living with at the moment. Whereas therapy is um, is is more about it is more goal orientated so if you're if you're wanting to overcome a specific anxiety disorder then the cbt therapy is like the recommended treatment for that um and then people got that choice whether to choose be on the counseling waiting list or to be on the therapeutic waiting list um yeah
3: and i think that's where the complication can come can't it because Counselling in itself is an umbrella term. You know, there's so many different types of counselling. You know, there's um like you were talking about the dynamic therapy, you know, we've got dynamic therapists, there's IPT therapists interpersonal, um, you know, and yeah, it's it's so much more complicated. So I think there's no, it's not a surprise that people come into the service So I talk to people and they say, I had this really bad experience, like what you're saying, Natalie, like that doesn't surprise me because it is so much, we, it's so complicated, it really is, and it isn't just as simple as as finding a counsellor and like Adam was saying, and they all do the same thing.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and it's funny actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sam, because that was one of the questions that I was going to ask as well, like to to describe the difference between Um, counselling and therapy so I'm glad that you already spoke into that but I think what I'm hearing um, from everyone really is that if you're going to be to know exactly what it is that you're looking for or at least to know what sort of an outcome you're looking for because generally people might just think, I just feel maybe if it's depression, for example, like I know, like, like having experienced it myself, like I know I don't feel right, I know I feel depressed, I know I shouldn't be feeling this way, or you know, there must be something that's wrong, like starting to believe that I think that there's something wrong with me and um, I need to do something about it. That might be all that you know, it might be all that you know, I just don't feel great, but the outcome is I wanna feel better than than what I do now even just having that kind of a basis, you can then go and kind of look for somebody that can help with that. Now, to find someone that's actually gonna go through an assessment to begin with is key to all of that, because ultimately what it comes down to is that everybody is unique. Like we can all relate to one another through our experiences. However, every single person, every individual is, is unique how we process information from one person to the next is different. You know, how we relate to people is different. So just going into a, into somebody's home or into somebody's office and then not even taking the time to kind of get to know who they're dealing with and, you know, why they're there um, and they're basically just sitting there as some kind of a sounding board, then you're probably not going to get very far with that person because for, for you to receive some level of help that other person needs to have some level of understanding of of who you are and yeah. what it is that you really need um, yeah. and especially from there
2: I just wanted to add to that because like what i can speak in terms of private practice yes there's a lot of valid websites psychology today bacp Um, counselling directory, there's a lot of valid websites that you can go on and there's certain procedures that I can share that we have to go through as therapists, we have to show an indemnity insurance, we have to show our uh, qualifications, what standard we're up to, all of these things before we can even register ourselves onto this website. So to let people, possible clients know that are seeking therapy, these are the sort of safety procedures before we can actually advertise on that website and what I say and people joke when me, say I don't other other therapists joke say, I don't it's not the best business model I say I don't care about the business model because it's a human human, human connection right it's not bad so what I always say to people because I offer a 30-minute consultation for telephone conversation consultation then the next stage is the initial assessment if that person wants to come on board with me and try it mm-hmm. out right? But what I always say to people, and this is what I would advise people, because sometimes we can really overcomplicate things, right? And then especially if you don't, you're not in the world of therapy, right? It can become very overwhelming. And if you're in a place of overwhelming as it is, that can become really difficult and can be off-putting. So I would just try and simplify it, to be honest, and I just say to people, and this is literally what I say to people on the phone, I always say to people, don't, don't give me the answer right now on the phone, sleep it through, feel it out, feel it out, right? Because we think too much. Mm. Feel it out on what comes up if it feels, if you feel drawn to me. And I say to people on the phone, while you why are you talking to me? Or check out other therapists. If other therapists are offering that free consultation call, take advantage of that. And feel it out, feel it out, can you trust this person? It's the basic things can you chat to this person on level? can you do you feel like you can engage with this person? Do you feel safe enough with this person and then your basic kind of things to enter that therapy and it's okay if it's not working out it's okay to say, no hey, this isn't working out right and then you can work on some endings or close that down and maybe some, you know, even sometimes signpost that person to someone more appropriate. And then it also depends on what kind of therapy, because, like with counseling, or if you want sort of a more open sort of therapy to explore, it depends on that. What it all comes down to ultimately is that person's wants and needs, what they want and what they need. And that's for me the key identifier with Mm -hmm. if it's working within a service or working in private practice whatever way this is how I've always tried to operate throughout my journey is identify what the person's goals what's they wants, what's their needs and then can we work towards that is that something and then all those other elements that I said that come into it and that's kind of what I would say as a starting off point is feed it out Feel it out with that person if they're offering a free consultation, take advantage of that. Right? And but don't it's like if you're looking at a product, you don't just look at one product, right? So check out a few different products and then see what feedback you get from that conversation with that person, and then take it from there and make your use your discernment, make take that decision from there. You know, that's what I would say advise, and that's what I do advise to people in within my own private
1: i really appreciate that um that that piece of um you know pay attention to your emotions when you're talking to the therapist because yeah we can say like logically this person's got that credential that credential they're registered with this agency and that agency and and stuff sort of like the logical do's and don'ts of working with a therapist but actually paying attention to our emotions is is such an important piece Mm -hmm. because there is this living breathing thing within the therapeutic relation which is the therapeutic relationship um that um it's more of a it's more of a felt sense than a logical um connection and like I'm sure Natalie there were there were emotions and feelings coming up for you when working with this therapist who's of a different generation, completely different generation, therefore a different culture. And then, um, I mean, as therapists, we're all going to make blunders. And I think there's a, is it Yalom, who like talks about, I think he's got a piece of artwork that's that's called The Blind Leading the Blind. You know, we're all human beings. Mm. Um, But in that moment, I can't imagine what was, going through you as in in that in that felt sense like that that came out of nowhere kind of thing. yeah
0: it's really funny actually because when when um you both you and Adam were just speaking about that I was kind of reflecting back on like the times when I've had like talking therapy with somebody um and especially when I was a teenager i I think that that resistance that would come up when I was speaking to them was actually because I was going through my life, not realizing that there was anything wrong. Like what Charlotte was saying, like I didn't realize that my life wasn't actually that normal when you don't. And someone's kind of touching on a nerve that you didn't even realize was exposed. All of a sudden you're like, oh, no, I think I'm done with this now. Like i remember walking out of one session uh, crying or whatever because i remember her saying to me like i mean i must have i think i was about 14 because that's when i first got put on antidepressants we'll go into that in in a short while as well but um i remember her saying to me like what you've been through is a lot and you need help and i think hearing that when i came out i was like i'm done i'm done with this now was on antidepressants and then I think I last on presence for about maybe a week and then I took myself off of those and I was like no I can't I can't do this either you know um and then ever since then I've always had this feeling of um and I'm sure a lot of people that would listen to this as well or relate that it, it's it always felt really easy to kind of go to a doctor's or whatever and they would just really quickly just kind of give you a a, a tablet or something to um control your your hormones or you know I remember my mum my saying to me before um you must have some just you must just have some, some kind of chemical imbalance it must just be a chemical imbalance like she knew what she was talking about you know it must just be a chemical imbalance and but I guess that's again that that's a generational thing it was just kind of that's that's what that's what you do you know we've got these tablets and that that happens but even with medication like although I'm not against it I know that for me it doesn't work um or it's something that I have tried and I didn't like it it's great to have that but you have to have you have to have the other element as well it's not enough to just take a tablet and think that oh, that's going to be okay take a tablet but also speak to somebody or it might not be enough to just speak to somebody speak to somebody and also go and get some spiritual healing go have some reiki go have whatever you know it's about kind of um going back again to what charlotte was saying initially when you know you were saying what's the level of expectation ultimately we're never fully healed we we, we just get we get to a stage eventually where we're so aware of what our triggers are and we're so aware of what, you know, what upsets us that we get better at managing that, you know? So it's, um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of points on uh, to that as well, but I think it's important to get that message across of what are your expectations?
3: You and, know, and, not... and part of that, I think, is also therapy is not meant to be enjoyable unfortunately yeah like, it's hard and it hurts and it's painful and you may only be able to take a certain amount of pain each time and that's okay but you will get through it and you'll learn what you need to learn in order to help with that you know i I never forget uh, someone I worked with and a patient come out and they was like they tell someone, I really enjoyed working with Charlotte. And she said, well, therapy's not meant to be enjoyable. And I was thinking, <laughs> that's so true. Like, it's not, it's meant to be hard. And if patients are coming and they are saying, actually, I've really struggled last week, that really, we're doing our job. Like, that's what we're meant We're meant to be doing. We're meant to be getting them to that point where, where it's painful and we're not avoiding those emotions that are coming out, whether you want them to or not. Mm. Um, mm. And nothing we do in therapy, just to reassure people as well, we're not asking you to revisit anything that you don't already know. It's already there. It's all The feelings are there. The emotions are there. The experiences are there. Sometimes they're not easily accessible. But we're not asking you to do something you haven't already been through. If anything, you know, that's part of the healing process is allowing yourself to go there. Oh, I love how you worded that. Then,
1: like you've, we're not going on any territory that you've not already been on. Um, that's really beautifully said. Um, and, I sure? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm gonna steal that. if That's all right. I <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I, and I agree with you, Natalie. Like, medication does have its place. Um, especially like there's a certain there's a certain level of readiness that people have Mm. um when they feel like they would like to work with someone because like I say it's a really brave step to to sit down and be open and vulnerable about something that they've probably never spoken to anyone about before Um, it's a huge step for people and um medication can be sort of like that um can just give people that Lift that little lift that they might need to function, uh, but it's not meant to be a long term solution at all, it's meant to be a short term thing. And people I, I work with people sometimes that are on antidepressants or anti anxiety medication for years, and that's how they manage and that's how they cope. And they're just not designed, um, and the, for so many reasons, I don't recommend antidepressants long term, but um, they do have their place and I will say I'll, I'll tell people as well that not every antidepressant is going to work in the same way for every single person mm. and so that's why it's so important to have medication reviews with your doctor so if you are on a course of medication and the doctor said you know give it three weeks I'm not sure how long they give it four weeks or six weeks and come back please do go back and talk with your doctor about it because if if it's not working for some reason, or if you're having any um, nasty side effects, which some some do, like depending on the individual, that's what they're that's what those medication reviews are there for. Because then either the dose can be changed or the medication itself can be changed. Um, I'll I'll try and find the research, um, but I know that um, just having talking therapy alone. Can elicit kind of uh, similar outcomes to a course of, of medication for, for certain mental health problems um and the relapse rate is really similar as well but what the research does show is that that if, if medication is taken in combination with talking therapy the outcomes are different they're they're better um and the relapse rate is is extended even um, um they're not super sure of why that is, but maybe just starting medication alongside talking therapy can get a person out of that, you know, that thick fog of depression enough so that they may be receptive to therapy. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that's what I understand from the research that's available. Um, but by all means, the antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication, if it's helping you function, there's nothing wrong with that, but um try and find other options instead of that being your long-term solution because there is there are so many healing modalities um that can work with aspects of yourself that you didn't really know existed, like Reiki's amazing, and um um reflexology, talking therapies
3: um
0: somatic experiencing is a real yes mm. yes that, did, uh, I'd, oh, that uh, somatic experiencing for me has been like the major major Powerful. game changer yeah
3: wow well it, it, we, we speak a lot don't we, about um uh, the body keeps its score yeah it's is a really good book it's quite a heavy book but yeah it's just all about that you know I love um someone described it as uh when a deer is running through the woods and they're spooked they stop, they freeze, but then they shake it off and then yeah. they go again. As humans, we don't shake we don't shake off the trauma. Yeah. You know, my dog does it all the time. <laughs> but but we don't. So I suppose these sorts of modalities also help with that process as well. Even That's even yawning,
0: even even yawning is trauma leaving the body. So when wow. you yawn, make it really big. Like literally make it really big. I was even telling Dave to do this last night. Was like when well, you're yawning you're really big because it's, like, it's trauma leaving your body it, it it fascinates me and yeah the body the body keeps the score is is my bible it's my absolute bible but it is a it is quite a a, a hard read unless you're hardcore into trauma like mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're if you're a wounded healer, or, and you're somebody like us that is just obsessed with stuff like this, mm. then it might be a bit of a hard read. And also, the book that I'm just finishing up at the moment is uh, "When the Body Says No," which is the hidden causes of stress, and that's Gabor Mate. Um, but um, yeah, this is a really good point,
3: isn't it? Like the resources that are available. Yeah, like it's just so many resources that people can draw on. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I think it's about what should I say? I feel, if we go deeper, that it's about the individual. Like Natalie was we saying before, everyone's totally unique, all right? And medication might work. For some people, it might not work. It might be counterproductive for some people, but it just depends on the individual. And then also remembering, you know, in terms of a lot of the holistic therapies that, you know, in combination, that can like, really, really help at different levels. Um, so, yeah, it's just, just being mindful of all the different, Elements and different um, different resources, because there's so much out there right? not to kind of bombard people or confuse people, but there is a lot of options you know um, and yeah, in some cases in my experience, medication can be really useful in terms of um, helping people to regulate certain things. Uh, but in some cases it, it's, it's not. So it just depends on the individual and um, checking out what's working for you, what's not working for you. It's a constant sort of review process hmm.
0: for you.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a really important point as well to make is that it is like this constant review. If you, if you get to a stage where all of a sudden what you're doing isn't working for you anymore, you take note of why it's not working or what isn't working and then try a different avenue you know rather than doing that same thing over and over and over and over again it's like the, the, the analogy that's popping into my head is like the people that kind of do slimming world and then they lose loads of weight on the slimming world and they're like this is amazing and then they you know end up going putting the weight back on and then they'll go back to slimming world but they're not having that same experience as they did the first time around But because mentally they're saying, oh, but this worked for me before, they'll still continue doing it, believing this is going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work. And actually, sometimes it's not because it might just be that there's, and well, the likelihood is, is that there's there's something else (laughs) that is much, much more deeper rooted than that surface level thing. And that's why that's not working anymore. So having that kind of, Um, flexibility to come away from the things that were working for you and then approaching it a different way is that I mean that for me has been really transformative as well kind of looking at what it that is I'm doing yeah I know this has been working me for a really long time but actually it's not working anymore what can I change
3: relate that to unhelpful coping strategies so we haven't really touched upon risk but things like self-harm or drug and alcohol you know these are all these are all coping strategies they're ways to manage how you feel so what you do in therapy is you learn actually that served a purpose at some point in my life it doesn't anymore so what can I do differently how can I look at this in a different way and experience Mm -hmm. this in a different way
1: yeah
3: Mm mm-hmm oh I love talking about this. I
0: know, I know, talk- <laughs> I know. I'm like, I've got all these other things in my head and I'm like oh, no, but I'll be speaking about that on another podcast and I'll speak about that on another podcast. I'm actually going to specifically do a podcast on somatic healing with with my teacher that, that kind of took me through and how we did that as well. It'll be a really interesting uh, conversation um, but um, yeah I think conscious of of everybody's um time as well and like not wanting to keep everybody for too much longer (laughs) because i know we can sit and talk about this for hours i think it'd just be really helpful like if there's any um if there's any nuggets of wisdom or if there's any kind of like specific questions that you always tend to get asked like the most common questions that people ask you Because, you know, as you know, there'll be somebody that will be listening to this that will probably have the question, but maybe be too frightened to ask it. And so it's good sometimes just to be able to preempt that by saying this is generally what people tend to ask me a
1: lot about. I've got so much going through my mind of what we have been talking about. Um, It's cool that there's this link there between um somatic therapy um and and the addiction piece um of of the way we we cope and um i'm i'm working in i'm actually working in um a program at the moment uh that works with women who are recovering from addictions to drugs alcohol even codependent relationships um and the majority of these people have history of trauma and the way that they have learned how to cope with this is, is through substances or through food or through sex, um, through work, even we and Gabor Mate thinks that we all have a little bit of addiction within us. Um, so, the, I think the thing that sticks out for me is what, what he also says about th- the fact that addiction is on – it can be on a spectrum um, or like a continuum, and actually the opposite of addiction is connection.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, there, there are so many things that we can talk about on that and, and how to promote connection, but it can be like – it doesn't have to be with con- connection with other people – Although that's that's super beneficial. But some people even have trouble connecting with themselves mm. um, and having that integration with themselves. And that's what addiction sort of does with any substance. Is it like it separates your head from your body? Like you, you stop feeling. Mm. So you disconnect. And sometimes we really want, we have, we need those moments where we just want to disconnect. We want to zone out, watch the telly or um, we want to get lost in a piece of work or something like that. So it's actually really challenging to then switch that narrative from dissociating or disconnecting to connecting again. And what does that mean? That can be really scary for people sometimes because what if the relationship you have with yourself is actually quite abusive? What if you talk really nastily to yourself? Mm. Um, that's one of the powers of humanistic Therapy that person-centered therapy is is having that approach of unconditional positive regard so um i I really value that approach that adam takes and um that 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 promotion really of that connection with the self so yeah loads came up for me then don't know (laughs) if anyone else has any thoughts on that
2: in terms of what you've said in terms of the unconditional positive regard and that sort of way of being, you know, that non-judgmental approach—you know, because we talk outside of therapy rooms, you know, as friends, you know—that's something that I hold as a as a way of being. You know, and yeah. that sort of gravitates—I gravitate to that way of being. Um, <clears throat> I totally agree with everything that you said. Well, there's lots of good comments that everyone said here, right, in today's thing. Just going back to Natalie's question in terms of common common questions or common themes. I suppose I'd say just at a basic level, it's okay to seek help. It's okay, the starting point is to say, I've you know, there's there's something going on here, right? Something not quite right. That's I'm feeling or I'm experiencing or I'm struggling with. And it's okay to reach out. And say, "I need help." That's, I suppose, the, the tip I would, the first starting point I would say to anyone that's listening to this. Yeah, it's okay to say, "Hey, I'm struggling and I need help." And reach out and and try and seek that support. Yeah, I'm going to add to that actually as well and say.
3: Um... It's also okay not to know what you're experiencing. And that's why you go to people like us. That's what we're for. A bit like if you had a physical problem, you would go to your doctor or you'd go to the hospital because you're trying to find out what's wrong. This is the same process. Um, So the most common question that I think I get that comes to my mind was, what is cognitive behavioral therapy? Um, It's quite a mouthful, but it it is what it says on the tin. Cognitive is thoughts, behavioral is what we do. And then therapy is trying to understand that and the connection between those two things. Um, we look at what you've been through in the past, what your experiences are, where you're potentially stuck, if so. And how does that link to your beliefs about yourself, your beliefs about others, your beliefs about the world? And what recent incidents have happened that's causing you to come here today? How Does that link to any of that? And if it does, what are these patterns that are coming up in terms of what you're potentially avoiding or how you're behaving or how you're feeling? Are you trying to get away from those feelings and really, really making sense of connecting those dots? And then you've got to really, I suppose, continue that. Continue challenging your thoughts, continue changing your behavior, and keep that as part of like what Adam said, as your that is your Bible, that is your day-to-day life each day, each day as it comes, because if you just stop when you finish therapy, all of that learning, that understanding can just be unlearned again yeah. and you're back in those same patterns.
2: I'd I like to add to that from my personal experiences that I was saying this to a friend just last week. Uh, like I've experienced depression myself yeah. and into some deep, dark places. And um, what I've realised is that there's a tendency, there's a very easy tendency to slip back, right? If you're not looking after yourself, if you're not promoting that self-care, especially in the work that we do, right? You know that you can all feel that. And so it's really important, as you're saying, Charlotte, that a lot of the things that, that you learn from therapy, a lot of the kind of more healthier coping mechanisms that you learn upon the gym, that you keep those things up. That self-care and that self-love it's really really important um to maintain that because then it can be very easy to slip back and spiral back into that sort of negative place yeah
3: and sam you probably um do you know like the cycle of change that we we like go through mm, yeah this this is what this reminds me of that so actually it's not linear you know you may relapse you may lapse and that's also part of the journey mm. as well because that shame kicks in that guilt
1: yeah
3: which is normal but you know it's part of that is part of the process as well unfortunately for us to learn we need to relapse. we need to lapse
0: Mm. and that's okay Mm. and this is where as well things like social media can and does become damaging because when you see somebody that's doing really really well and they're only sharing like one level of their life, for example, and then you know comparisonitis kicks in, and you're looking at that and thinking, you know, like as as an example, um, I gave up drinking at the end of 2020. It was like 31st December, had my last drink. I was like, right, that's it, I'm done. It was a battle that I'd had since I was like 11. I was like, I, I'm just, I just don't want to do it anymore. It makes me too un, uh, unproductive and went through the whole of last year not drinking and then all of a sudden in uh it must have been February it was one evening and I said to my partner do you you want to split a bottle of red wine with me just like I I just just want to have like that I think I'll be okay just having that drink at home and I literally had like one glass I think it was like barely barely drink that and then with recent events that was happening I woke up I was having like this most amazing morning I was like full embodiment like dancing like meditating and breath work and just everything was beautiful and then I had a voice note from my friend, like about what was going on in the news I don't watch the news or anything like that so it like completely just took my vibe down straight away which is why I then went on a no voice note Cole, because I'm like unless people are telling me what's in these voice notes before I listen to them <laughs> like I can't listen to voice notes because you can literally take my mood and completely like like crush it um and so I'd said to Dave that night I'm gonna I'm gonna self-destruct and going back to what Sam was saying earlier as well about um essentially consciously Self destructive, right? Kind of if, if you can do it from that awareness of like, I know I'm going to do this, and I'm actually choosing to do this in this moment rather than kind of just slip into old habits. So, anyway, again, specifically opted for red wine because I was like, I know I can't neck this, I know that I'm not going to go on that spiral. One glass, that's it, but I kept thinking to myself, like "What is this? what being curious again, like what is this? This doesn't make sense to me. I've gone all that time without drinking. I've been absolutely fine, and then all of a sudden, you know, okay, it was what two two bottles of wine over the space of like a month or something that's like barely anything compared to you know what I would have used to have drunk. But still that shame was kind of kicking in. And I was kind of like trying not to be hard on myself, but why am I doing it? And it was actually through a breathwork session, um, a, a really long breathwork session that I realised when my cousin died in December. And I was still holding on to that grief in my heart. And I didn't realise it was just something that was playing in my subconscious all the time um and and I hadn't actually recognized it and as soon as I cleared that with breath work that's it it's like it's it's just gone and I'm back to oh actually I don't actually want to drink I don't you know I've got like a non-alcoholic beer now you know and I and I, and I know that that's gone but it, it was that kind of having that awareness and also recognizing that I'm still human <clears throat> so all right it's not necessarily going to be that you're addicted to something (coughs) work sex whatever it is and then you give it up completely and that's it you might have these little relapses but if you can kind of be more curious about it rather than be too hard on yourself about it then eventually you can kind of get those answers Mm -hmm. um and work through it again sorry I've got a tick in my throat
1: thank you for sharing that example natalie i think that's something so common that a lot of a lot of people go through a lot of us go through of that um uh and and, and I, I think a lot of people can relate to that of like you can feel yourself get to a certain point where you think what as you said i'm i'm going to self destruct and i'm going to use these old behaviors Um, but that, that can, that can exist because that's a response of a strong emotion. I I don't think I'm wording this right, but it, it is a response of some really, really strong emotions. And that's like a pattern that was really helpful in the past. Um, and, and that is okay. That is okay. And it's so cool that you've shared that example of, doing breath work as well, because um, this is something that we kind of do in CBT and in DBT, is like the, is like distress tolerance of what is going to really help soothe me in this moment, Mm. what is really going to help me, like, what's the language, like, activate myself or soothe myself, and in that moment, intuitively, what came to you immediately was red wine, but what you also had was um was practices that already help you connect with Mm. yourself and both can exist. One like one behavior like drinking wine can be really soothing and it can be really helpful in the moment. But if we if we only have that, then that's when it becomes a problem. When you it was so interesting to hear like breath work is something that uh, we haven't gone into into much depth today but I'm sure you talk about it quite a lot and that's something that is a whole body experience that allows you to connect with your whole self your whole nervous system and once that connection was there it was like integration immediately and, and a sense of peace and a sense of letting go so both can exist and that is okay um so yeah thank you for sharing that
0: welcome I always try and keep things real like I've been also I'm waiting I'm I'm trying to I'm waiting until I've consistently not drunk for another like three four months before I I, before I actually share that story more so only a few people probably hear it on here but you have to share a story quite a few times before a lot of people uh, hear it and see it anyway because what that's another thing as well that I've really started to make sure that I do now is that when I actually process a lesson and when I integrate a part of myself again i reintegrate that trauma because as you know even but as Gabriel Marte speaks about as well you know trauma is your body's response to um you know something being so overwhelming in that moment it kind of like just shifts it over here. And then, th- and then it's this gap that's in between here that kind of over time can grow and then you want to kind of reintegrate that back into the, the body. But I'm also making sure that when I'm learning these lessons and I'm integrating these lessons that I'm not immediately sharing. Because actually it's still going to take me a few more months from now to really integrate that
3: and think- to really
0: feel like safe to be like, I can share a little bit more of my life with you public and you can, and then hopefully it will help you, you know, being authentic.
3: Yeah. There's something really powerful though about being on your journey and not needing that validation from other yeah. people and not needing, but I mean, obviously there's some growth in that as well, but, and it can be helpful to to connect with others with your own stuff. But I think trauma in itself is a whole other conversation. We can go mm. do so much about it. Um especially with more complex needs, which is you know completely different to you know a lot of the stuff that we have spoken about. I'm thinking more like along the lines of personality disorders, yeah. attachment. Difficulties, stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I would be happy to come back and talk about
0: that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do another one of on more complex, <laughs> complex um, emotions and behaviors. But thank you. Anyway, I, I, as I say, I'm so conscious of time. Like we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours and hours on end, um, but we won't. So um thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening today to or your day today in Canada um to share your insights and I hope that this has been helpful to anybody that that watches this or listens to this really and um uh, also like how can people <clears throat> or how is it best for people to actually connect with you as well because everyone has different ways in which and especially as we was going back to what we we're saying before as well being um a therapist or being somebody that holds space for other people um that every individual will have very different ways in which people can contact them because they're very wary of this is kind of my sacred space and then this is how you can contact me so if people did want to reach out to you because they resonated with you like what is the best way for people to do that
1: Um, I'm no longer on psychology today. I'm taking a little bit of a break from private practice, just um, completing this master's um, and working. But if you would like to, I'm, I'm so open if anyone has any questions or um, any, anyone needs any help with anything in particular. Uh, my The best way to contact me is, is through my Instagram handle and that's at Samstone Therapy.
3: Adam, I yeah. believe <laughs> you, Charlotte. Um, <laughs>
2: all right, so uh, Instagram, uh, the name there it's uh, Adam Yusufali Counselling um, at Adam Yusufali Counselling Instagram. If you want to contact me through there, I'm on Psychology Today. Uh, uh, Adam Yusufali Counselling is my website. Um, I think I'm still on the BACP directly, directory. Um, but I need to actually check that one out. Um, so maybe not count that one. Until, but I think I'm still on there. If not, I'm going to get on there again. Um, LinkedIn as well. I have a profile. So if you just type my name in the internet, really, um, you'll see my face somewhere. And hopefully, <laughs> all good the- stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah that's about it really and i'm very open to any questions anyone's got any other further questions that's come up here from today you know i'm very open just want to try and the purpose is just trying the intention is just trying to try and help people really.
3: and um you can message me on instagram charlotte I'm, i was just quickly checking what it is but i didn't even know what <laughs> it's just charlotte underscore Sadie underscore, um, yeah, I mean, I'm open to any sort of discussions. I don't do private practice, um, but, yeah, I'm happy to talk more. I'd love, and I, I can't wait to listen back to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know.
2: Yeah,
0: to it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, yeah, thanks again for for everything today. Really genuinely hope it has been helpful to someone, even, even just one person. Um, yeah, and we will reconvene and consider speaking about more in-depth personality disorders in the future
2: yeah interesting sure thank you all as well thank you natalie for organizing this
3: yeah thank you natalie lovely to meet you both
2: yeah and you to meet
3: you all
1: thank you